Mindfulness Mode 56. Mindfulness doesn't really have to be work. I think that the work comes from not settling, if that makes sense. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host, Bruce Langford. On Mindfulness Mode, we talk about how people from all walks of life have discovered mindfulness and how it's impacted their lives to help them become more calm, focused, and happy. Hey, Mindful Tribe, thanks for joining us. As appreciation for listening, I have a meditation infographic for you called Calm Your Busy Mind. This download focuses on breathing, exercise, and mantras. Get your copy at mindfulnessmode.com slash calm, C-A-L-M. Okay, Mindful Tribe, let's get started. I'm totally thrilled to have Andy Gray on the line today. Hey, Andy, are you in mindfulness mode? Well, yes, Bruce, I certainly try to be. <laughs> That's good. Andy Gray is a software and technology expert helping organizations be more effective in their use of technology. He has co-authored two books published by Cambridge University Press and is a frequent speaker nationally and internationally. Andy has a deep interest in spirituality and was a program director for a nonprofit education and retreat center. Andy has completed a two-year Art of Spiritual Discernment training and has attended many retreats and workshops on the topics of spiritualism and mindfulness. Andy also has his own podcast called A Congruent Life. So Andy, would you share with Mindful Tribe some insight into some recent retreats you've attended? Sure, Bruce. First, uh, thanks so much for the invitation. I'm delighted to be here. Glad to see how uh, much traction you're getting with your podcast. It's really thrilling to re- thrilling to watch. And I certainly appreciate the the invitation to be here. Yeah, my pleasure to have you as a guest, Andy. This is just great. There's all different ways that we can do retreats and all sorts of different forms and and modalities and so forth. But I think the the main point is to put ourselves in a place that is not our normal lives. You know, we we are really good as human beings, I think, at living scripts and getting stuck and you know, just kind of do in our life day by day the way that we always think that we should. And retreats really give us an opportunity to break out of that mold and do something a little different, put ourselves in a, in a different kind of environment, a different kind of headspace, a different kind of heart space that really help us to recharge and recover and then maybe have different kinds of visions about where we go in our future, different kinds of goals and, and uh, objectives. Well, tell us about some of the different types of retreats you've been involved in, Andy. Sure. Well, they really run the gamut. One example, I guess, on on one end of the spectrum would be a wilderness vision quest that I attended a couple of years ago. Uh, That's a fairly intense experience. Uh, We actually had about, uh, it was about a 10-day retreat. Uh, We had a, a group of amazing men, and we were together in Death Valley for that time. And it was structured in such a way that much of that time was solo and was structured so that most of that time we were fasting. So we were out in in the desert together uh, for about three days, and then we were separated on our own for three days and then back together for three days. So that's kind of a big big deal, you know, a different, very different sort of model where – some would certainly think of that as intense, and and certainly it is. And, and retreats can also take a completely opposite side of the spectrum. Like, um, for example, a couple of years ago, I attended a retreat that was actually at a resort in Palm Springs. And so you kind of think, well, gee, a resort in Palm Springs. But it's a different kind of environment where 
everything is taken care of for you and then you can really do your own work without having to worry about logistics of how you're going to eat or where you're going to sleep or any of those kinds of things. And then there's everything in between, all different kinds of retreat centers and different kinds of environments. I think one of the, the primary keys, though, at least for me, is that a key attribute of a retreat is really having time with nature. Uh, nature is a, is a huge teacher. And I think the more that we can unplug from our civilized lives and, and the comforts that we rely on day by day and get ourselves into a place where we're unplugged from those things, uh, the more ability we have to uh, do deep inner work. Andy, tell us more about what a vision quest really is. Well, a vision quest is really an opportunity, I think, to, uh, I keep saying the word unplug. Um, mm-hmm. So vision quest is something that goes back for generations. You know, different cultures in, in different parts of the world and different times in history have had various um, spins or uh, presentations of, of what a vision quest is. But a vision quest is really about being able to being able to see our, our vision of the future in a different kind of way. When we have so much um, sort of chatter in our minds, so much input, so much... So, so many different voices, perhaps, telling us what we should do. It's really difficult at times to have a sense of where we're going, have a sense of, of who we truly deeply are, and to seek any sort of transformation that we might be doing. So a vision quest is really designed to be an opportunity to do that. In many cases, vision quests have been used in times of adolescence as sort of a rite of passage of going from a child to an adult. But vision quests, I think, can be appropriate for many different stages of life. Certainly the, the folks that I've experienced Vision Quest with have had a variety of different intentions, a variety of different purposes for doing that. In many cases, marking some sort of significant transition in their life, you know, whether that be from um, adolescence to adulthood or mourning the loss of a significant relationship or a death or some significant sort of transition in life. So your wilderness vision quest was in Death Valley. And for those of us uh, who are not from the U.S., tell us about Death Valley, where it is, what it's like, what it's like to go there for a vision quest. Uh, it's interesting. Death Valley is is beautiful. It's, uh, so Death Valley is in uh, Southern California, out in the deserts of Southern California. It is um, often referred to as the hottest place on earth. And many times um, it's, you know, record breaking in terms of, of the heat. It's a, a, a deep desert that's very hot. It certainly has the potential to be very hot. But yet there are also beautiful mountains, um, sort of diverse landscape. And it's, I, I guess, a way to describe it would just be harsh. It's a, it's a very harsh environment. It gets very little um, moisture. So it's hot and dry. And it was a great place to, to do it, actually, to, to do this vision quest. Uh, we actually did this uh, in the wintertime, so it wasn't uh, brutally hot, although it was, it was quite warm. And it was interesting in that Death Valley gets very little moisture, as I said. And while we were there, we were actually, uh, during our solo time, the, the time that we were out alone in the desert, uh, we actually had a pretty significant storm uh, that was both wind and, and rain. And so experiencing... Uh, what's not normal for that environment in that sort of harshness and being, you know, out alone in it was was quite profound. So how much of the time would you be out in nature compared to the time you'd be in some sort of shelter? 
Well, there were no shelters other than what we provided for ourselves. So, so for the basically the entirety of those ten days, we were out in nature in in some form. Really, what our shelter consisted of was a tarp, and so uh, we were able to to use that tarp to essentially construct some degree of shelter for ourselves. That was primarily about the sun more than than anything else. Although when that storm came through, it was certainly helpful to provide some shelter both from the uh, the wind and, and the rain. So really, it was really 10 days of not being in, in man-made structures. Right. Plus, you were fasting at the same time. So tell, tell us about fasting in relationship to mindfulness. How is it connected? Mm, interesting. You know, fasting is something that I've never really understood throughout my life. Uh, you know, I know it's certainly a, a significant part of, of religious tradition and in many different religious traditions. And, um, it's, it's not something that I never really clicked with that much. You know, I would see people doing this and not, and not truly understand it. I expected, um, it, not having significant experience with fasting during my own life, I expected this, fa- this time of fasting to be a very difficult time. It's like, what? I'm not going to eat. Um, so it was about three days in the middle that we were, we were completely fasting. And there was sort of a ramping down prior to that and a ramping up afterwards. But for those three days, we, we really didn't have any food at all. And I expected that to be a very difficult time. You know, I sort of walked into it with this intention in my head or my, this thought in my head of like, oh, my God, I'm going to be hungry. How am I going to deal with this? This is going to be a significant distraction. Uh, the reality is that it, it wasn't, though. You know, there was really no, I I didn't have much thought about food uh, during those times that I was fasting. And I think that the intent really is to, uh, to de-emphasize creature comforts. You know, it's, it's not so much about uh, inflicting pain or denying ourselves as it is about letting go of the things that aren't essential. And of course, food is essential. You know, we need nourishment in order to continue to live our lives on this planet. But it's really not as essential as we think, I think. Right. We don't need anywhere near the amount of nourishment we think we do, right? Right. And beyond the, the, the simple piece of nourishment itself, I think that we put way too much energy into providing for those needs. You know, so much of our culture and our time and our and our energy is oriented around food. Yes. You know, we uh, we certainly sh- share meals together, and and there's a lot of other positive attributes about eating together and so forth. But uh, we put a, a significant amount of our energy into food way more than there needs to be. Yeah. And so this was really a way of just kind of unplugging from that. You know, it's like you we. We had plenty of nourishment. We were we were in no physical danger. It was simply a matter of of simplifying and and allowing ourselves to be uh, in a in a simpler mode of living. Andy, I know you're very interested in spirituality when it comes to men and as it applies to to us as males. And you're part of the organization called Illumin. Now, tell us what how is spirituality different for men compared to women? Uh, that's a great question, and I don't have a, a real easy answer to that. I think that the big piece about it is that um, we in our culture, we're taught that based on our gender, based on our race, based on our income, based on our upbringing, that there are certain ways to be. And I think that that's very true for men. Um, I'm sure that many of the folks that you talk with on your show are are men that 
are sort of breaking out of stereotypes in many ways. They're, they're living a, a life of uh, authenticity. They're living a life of consciousness where they're making choices and, and maybe not necessarily living the way that culture asks us to be. You know, as men, we're often taught that we need to be strong. We need to make a lot of money. We need to be uh, firm. We need to not cry. We need to do all of these things. This is the right way to be a man. Right. And I, I think that so much of men's spirituality is about, uh, I want to say, rejecting that script. You know, th- there are certainly positive attributes of masculinity that I, that I mentioned, but that doesn't that doesn't exclude our ability to do deeper work. And Illumin is really about helping men do their own transformation in, in many ways in, in company with other men. So the, the mission of Illumin is really about helping men uh, become, become more authentic um, and, and inclusion without regard for things like race or sexual orientation or religious upbringing and so forth. So, uh, yeah, I guess that's how I'll, how I'll answer that. Of course, every man's spiritual journey is different. So it's not like this is what the pattern is for men. But I think that men being able to do their work in the company of other men that are also seeking similar transformation can be extremely powerful. Right. And I find that the um, cultural differences that we experience as men really defines us. And so when I want to reach out to other men, sometimes I find it difficult because sometimes other men are steeped in their own cultural traditions that don't align with my own. And so then I find it a challenge because sometimes those traditions don't gel with me and I don't feel comfortable with some of the attitudes that I find that they have. So then, you know, I find it's, it's, a, it's a real challenge to find those relationships Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, how many times in our lives, I'm sure that every adult man has experienced times where they sit, you know, run into someone that says, oh, you know, oh, don't cry, you know, man up. We have this expression, man up. Yes. Uh, don't be so sensitive. You know, all of these kinds of things that um, were encouraged, not, not just encouraged, but, but actively discouraged from enabling into our lives. Right. Yeah. So what is the main thrust of Illumin? What is their goal? It's really about enabling this kind of transformation that I mentioned. So it's, it's about doing it in, in concert with other men and, and providing community around men that are committed to being more authentic. Right. A great goal. Absolutely. Andy, you probably know I've been involved in bullying prevention for some time, and I'm just wondering if you have a comment relating to bullying and mindfulness. Sure. Well, I don't have a lot of experience with bullying uh, personally, uh, although, you know, there have certainly been times that I've been picked on as a kid, um, primarily for being different in different ways. I, um, a lot of that came from being the smart kid. You know, I was always the I was always the smart one that was the good student and all of that. And mm-hmm. that's not a real awesome thing to be when you're, <laughs> when you're right. young and in school. You know, right. That's, a, that's a, a great point of differentiation. Right. So I, to me, when I think about bullying, it, it brings me back to you know, living our life scripts. You know, some of what we've talked about already today, but in so many different parts of our lives, you know, we're expected to do certain things as, um, you know, as men, as adults, as Westerners, as educated people, all of these things. And, and I think that 
I think that willingness to step outside the script is is really important. And I would suspect that you and I haven't talked a lot about this, but I, you know, I, I would suspect that some of this is is similar behind bullying as well. Some of the root causes of bullying are um, fear and lack of control, and basically trying to push people to fit into a certain mold. Right. Andy, when did you first realize that you were interested in spiritualism and mindfulness? I think to me, uh, um, a significant piece of, in my life or a significant junction point in my life actually kind of reconciles some of what we've been talking about, uh, both in terms of retreats and, and the men's work. Mm-hmm. Um, I always you know, went through my life being the good kid. You know, I did what I was supposed to, and I went to a great college, and I got a great job, and mm-hmm. I got married, and I had kids, and you know, did the whole professional thing and, and all of that. And then somewhere along the way, I attended a men's rite of passage retreat, uh, which was um, one of my first significant retreats and was also um, basically rooted in the work of this organization, Illumin, that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. That, is, that Illumin's primary program. And um, it really it really rocked my world, actually. It, uh, it really provided me a different opportunity to see the world in different place, uh, you know, from a different perspective. And as I've been alluding to do it in the company of conscious men, I met some men there that, uh, were amazing. I I had no idea that so many men, um, thought the way that I did, that so many men were willing to dig in and do the deep work. So many men were willing to, um, to, to share these significant life experiences that affected them so profoundly and to, and to cry and to, uh, to, to do that deep work. And so to me, that was a big junction point, I think that created a lot of seeds of discontent, if you will, uh, for living the, you know, sort of living the scripted life. You know, that's something that I, I have to say, I really have not experienced, and, you know, I, I look around for people that I can uh, relate to, whether they're men or women. And sometimes I meet women that I relate to very much. But it's very interesting that you have have this organization that you're part of where it, it is men and you do relate to them in a major way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and in fact, that that's a very significant point, I would say, Bruce, is that for the majority of my life, uh, that was the case for me as well. I related much more to women than to men. Most of my close friends were were women, and I didn't have a lot of close friends. I had I had some that were men, but uh, the more involved that I've become in this men's work, and the longer that I've been in these circles and in these communities, uh, the more it's opened my eyes to creating those kinds of relationships and and seeing what's possible. I think it's really important for men to have other close men friends and it's unfortunately somewhat rare, you know, to, to be able to connect at a, at a deep level and not just about, you know, um, about sports or whatever. It is rare. And my dad is 90 and two years ago I was sitting talking with him and he paused long pause, which he often does. And he sat back in his chair and he turned and looked at me and he said, I never had a friend. Mm. I thought, wow. You know, wow, sitting there, you know, being 88 years old and thinking that. It's so tragic. And, you know, it's unfortunately 
it's unfortunately not rare. There, there are many men that never are able to create heartfelt connections with other men. We're, we're encouraged to compete. Men are the competition. You know, it's all about, it's all about one-upping and winning. And I think that there's a lot of richness beyond that. And what's the solution, Andy? Is it, is it found in this organization? Well, I certainly wouldn't say that it's found in this organization. I think the work that we do in this organization is helpful to men. Uh, but it, it's always an inside job. You know, there's, there's nothing sure. external that's going to do this for us. It really is about being willing to, uh, to take that journey and to seek that kind of transformation, to do the hard inner work and to, to be sure. conscious and mindful. You have to want you have to want to do to have a friend or you have to want to move forward in this direction and it's interesting to use the word work because with mindfulness mindfulness really isn't work at least not the way i think about it but but it is certainly in one way when you describe it it's work because you have to have that goal in mind and you need to you need to move in the right direction or else it's just not going to happen Sure, sure. I think we often really get stuck in inertia. You know, we, we live our lives and we do our thing and we, you know, we, we plod along through our lives. And, and I think that the, the work comes from being willing to break that inertia, to, to break the pattern and to do things differently. And that takes, that takes some work. That takes some willpower and it takes some strength. But uh, as you said, mindfulness itself doesn't really have to be work. Right. You know, Mindful Tribe, you talk to me about different things to do with discipline and boundaries. And I find that with mindfulness, discipline and boundaries aren't really a huge part of it. But Andy, what are your comments on discipline and boundaries when it comes to meditation and mindfulness? I think I would come back to what we were just saying about Mindfulness doesn't really have to be work. I think that the work comes from not settling, if that makes sense. You know, we, I think we, we often get into a place where we, um, where we drift, that we're, we're unconscious about the way that we're living our lives and, and what we're seeking. And so I think that the, the ways to get back from that can vary for, for different people. And I think sometimes discipline is what, what is required. I think that there's a, a great amount of wisdom from, um, you know, all sorts of different traditions about having, having disciplined structure, about creating rituals, about creating routines, and holding ourselves accountable to that, both on our own and within our community. Andy, my next questions are part of the multi-mode round. Just short 30-second answers are perfect. Here's the first one. Who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness practice? Mm, there's so many. Um, the one that jumps into my mind immediately is uh, a wonderful man by the name of Belden Lane, who's been a significant mentor of mine. Uh, we did a great interview on A Congruent Life. And uh, to me, he really embodies uh, this sort of kingly energy that I, I seek in my life and definitely consider him to be a big mentor of mine. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? Well, I think mindfulness is really about primarily about presence, about being present in the, in the current moment. And I would like to think that that's positively affected my professional life in the way that I relate to other people. You know, sometimes we get into these corporate situations uh, where there's a lot of dysfunction. You know, there's a lot of political 
maneuvering. There's a lot of emotion and so forth. And I think that being mindful and being present uh, has a way of, of diffusing that, of getting into a place where uh, you can see beyond the immediate behavior and really understand and connect with people on an, on an individual, deeper level, listening to the things that they're saying beyond just the words that are coming out of their mouths. Andy, tell us how breathing is a part of your mindfulness practice. Uh, breathing is great. <laughs> breathing, <laughs> breathing is something that uh, I completely underestimated the power of. Uh, you know, we all breathe. Of course, we need oxygen. You know, our, sure. our lungs need to work in a certain way to be able to to exist. But um, my experience with breathing is is truly incredible. I've had some um, – I've actually worked with a, a breath coach that was a significant – um, eye opener for me, uh, just where, what we were able to do without physical touch, but just through our breath is amazing. Breathing is a, it's basically a, a tool, deep conscious breathing is a, is a tool that we always have with us. We always have our, we always have our lungs, we have our bodies in a way that we can breathe. And so we, we can instantly access this way of, um, of being present, of calming ourselves down, of, uh, of being conscious and in the moment in the places where we, get these adrenaline spikes or these fear responses or these flight responses. If you could recommend a book on mindfulness, what would it be? Again, there's several. Uh, the ones that jump into my mind, I would say, um, let's go with Byron Katie, Loving What Is. She's great and I think really helpful at uh, reframing our experiences in a way that help us be conscious and present uh, to what's going on. And I'll say also anything by Richard Rohr. Andy, can you recommend an app which helps you be more mindful? Um, I'll give you a couple. Uh, one, I would say, is uh, the Pomodoro Technique is an interesting way from a, from a work perspective. Uh, you know, when you're trying to actually accomplish things and, and do the work, the Pomodoro Technique is a great way to uh, remain focused and present to one task and not sort of let the monkey mind take over where we're multitasking and doing a bunch of things. So, so anything related to the Pomodoro technique, there's a bunch of Pomodoro timers out there that can be, be helpful uh, in the course of a work day. And then I'll also uh, mention uh, brain.fm and focus at will, uh, both of which are, are websites, not specifically apps, uh, but they are intended to be um, music and sounds that help us be be more present and more focused. And uh, it's been really interesting to experiment with those in the course of my work to uh, be aware of how they can help me focus and be more present. Great. That's really helpful. What advice would you give a person who is new to the idea of mindfulness and they'd like to start using it in their life? I think my advice would be that there's, there's no right way to do any of this. Um, I know I am, I tend to be a perfectionist by nature. And so if I'm exploring something new, it's like, okay, well, I got to figure out the right way to do it. There's no such thing with mindfulness. So I think that it's really just about um, being willing to jump in and figure out what works for you and, and, and give it a try without worrying whether you're doing it right or not. Andy, we really haven't talked very much about your own personal meditation practice. Can you talk about that for a minute? Sure. Uh, well, for me, as I alluded earlier, my biggest teacher is nature. And, and I find that if I can get myself outside of 
human structures and connected with the outside world in some way, that that's one of the most meditative things for me. And the interesting thing about that is that it doesn't have to even be that significant. You know, I love going out into the wilderness and I live in a beautiful place in the world where, you know, there's mountains and lakes and, and getting out in all of that is really valuable to my well-being, my sense of mindfulness and consciousness. But it doesn't have to be significant. You know, it can just be walking down the street, going down the park, looking at the stars, walking by the canal. Any of these little things I think are, are really important. So uh, I would say I'd say nature connect, uh, connect with nature in big and small ways. Andy, it has been a real pleasure to talk with you today. And I think that when it comes to mindfulness, you're very understated. I think that you really have so much knowledge to share and it's great talking with you. And uh, it was great meeting you as well. And And so I hope to talk to you again sometime about this and, and just want to thank you again for being on the show. Well, thanks, Bruce. I certainly appreciate the, the invitation. And uh, it, it's likewise, it's been great getting to know you. I'm really glad that our paths have crossed in this way. And let's continue the conversation. Yeah, let's do that. And Andy, tell Mindful Tribe how we can learn more about what you do and how we can contact you. Well, I'd say the biggest way is uh, is through A Congruent Life. My podcast is called A Congruent Life. And the website there is uh, acongruentlife.net. Uh, it connects to all the social media stuff from there. I, I'm trying to kind of downplay a lot of social media, spend less time on Facebook and things like that. So uh, that's probably the best place to start. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Gray Andy and, um, and through my podcast. Well, thank you very much, Andy, again, and all the best to you. Thanks a lot, Bruce. Okay, bye now. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.